do thank you once again for a new day, a beautiful Sunday morning, crisp outside, reminding us again of your grace and your mercy to us to provide um, crisp weather in a normally boggy and hot state. Um, we thank you for the relief that we have from the burden of our sin because of the finished work of Jesus. And we pray that we would be um, warmed again by your Spirit, the immense mercy that you've shown us, unmerited favor that we have in Christ because of your kind intention toward your people. So would you be with us as we go through this next section in Numbers and remind us again of the beauty of Jesus and the love that we have for him. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, we're in Numbers chapter 9, and we're continuing, we're continuing, good morning, welcome, unknown and unfamiliar guests. These are two of my friends, Joel Sage and McKenna Simpson, who are engaged to be married. Congratulations. Marriage, two of. So, I'm glad that they're here with us today. All right, we're in Numbers chapter 9. Because if you're going to visit a church, you want to hear a lesson on Numbers. <laughs> numbers chapter 9. And we're continuing the second cycle in the book of Numbers. We saw the first cycle, chapters 1 through 6, was really a celebration of the harmony and the unity of the people delivered from slavery in Egypt. And so the second cycle moves from that, chapter 7 through 10, verse 10. It moves from that into celebrating the presence of God celebrating the presence of the God who delivered them from Egypt. So in chapter 7, remember we're, we, we went through the 12 days of Hanukkah. You know, every day there was a leader of the tribe bringing dedicated offerings for service in the, in the tabernacle. And in chapter 8, we got additional instructions on the lampstand, how it was to be facing forward and shining on the table of the bread and all of that, all of that meant. And then also we saw the cleansing of the Levites and how they were living sacrifices offered as a wave offering before God um, to serve in the tabernacle at the direction of the priests. And so we're in chapter 9 today and we're continuing in that second cycle the theme of God's presence. And we're going to look at the second celebration of the Passover. This time they're celebrating the Passover as a free people from Egypt in the wilderness with God in their midst. It's kind of a big deal. So let's look at verse 1. We'll start there. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the people of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the fourteenth day of this month, at twilight, you shall keep it as its appointed time at its appointed time. According to all its statutes and all its rules, you shall keep it. So Moses told the people of Israel that they should keep the Passover. And they kept the Passover in the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at twilight, in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the people of Israel did. So let's remember the significance of the Passover for a couple of minutes. Why were they to celebrate the Passover? What was the whole deal. It was in remembrance of what the Lord had done to get them out of Egypt, to deliver his people. Okay. So the whole the whole point of it is a remembrance. 
of God's redemption of a slave nation in Egypt and pulling them out of that. How did that work? What what was the what, what's the what were they required to do for this celebration? Killing the lamb and eating the meat and then using the blood to cover their lamp posts. Okay, so there's a, there's there's a slaughtering of a lamb. They had to have a certain type of lamb. Had to be pure, unblemished, undefiled. And they had to cook it at twilight and eat it. Twilight just means like evening. We don't need to deal with movie series or anything. It's at evening. And they cooked the lamb and they picked the best parts. Right? No? Yes? What were they supposed to do with the lamb? Eat all of it. Eat all of it. Stuff you like. You, you don't like dark meat, still got to eat the dark meat, right? You don't like, you eat all, the whole thing. God commanded you to eat the whole thing. Um, all right, so the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread was another, another feast that was combined with Passover. Um, these were involved in like a week-long celebration. And it was to be celebrated in the first month, the 14th day of the first month, perpetually for them. This is part of their calendar. This is a celebratory calendar. It was also considered a holy assembly that required ceremonial purity. They had to, the, the statutes, remember in Exodus 12, we went through this, I'm sure those many moons ago, and we, we talked about how they were to purify themselves to take this Passover celebration. Uh, we saw that God was very specific in how they were to do the Passover. He gave instructions regarding the date and time, the first month, 14th day. Um, directions for preparing and sacrificing, cooking and eating the Passover lamb. He gave directions on the eating uh, of the accompanying elements of the unleavened bread. It's to be eaten for seven days. It had to do it with, with herbs and all this stuff. Uh, bitter herbs to remember their fleeing from Egypt, not having time to let the, the bread rise and not having a whole lot of spices around. They didn't have you know, the Spice House or whatever to get their stuff done. Um, there, he also gave directions on the removal of yeast from the household. Uh, matters related to resident aliens. Could resident aliens take the Passover? And instructions for telling the story of God's great redemption to, the chil to their children throughout their generations. This was an instructive time as well um, for training their children who God is and what He's done for Israel, Right? Several years ago, we, we did a, a Seder meal with the Brumfelds. I don't know if you all remember, some of you remember that. And, they, and there was this time of instruction. What does it, of course, the video is a little cheesy, but, but it said very specifically what God did and why we're doing this. And there was the whole, you know, they made kind of a game out of it for the kids to figure out what was going on. It was kind of a neat thing. So that's in Exodus 12. That's where it initiated. That's the original Passover. It gives all these laws and all this stuff. In Leviticus 23, we saw that matters of these sacred assemblies were to be called on the first and the seventh day Sabbaths, right? So you have, we're in Numbers 9, just so you know. Um, welcome to our class. All right. So, uh, so you saw that there were these sacred assemblies. He called them holy a convocation in the ESV is what is what it's called, and then or or assembly of the holy or assembly of the holy holiness was used. Again, calling for this idea that in the Passover they're to be ceremonially pure. There, it's a high bar here. You've got to be be holy as I'm holy, right? I mean that's the bar. So was Passover voluntary? 
How many times in verses 1 through 5 does God use the word keep? Just, just do a quick count. You shall keep. You will keep. You must keep. Keep. How many times? Five. Five times. Now, we know in Hebrew language literature, when you repeat something, right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. That's, a, that's really, really holy, right? It's a big, it's superlative. How important is it to him that the people keep this Passover? We got him saying five times, keep it. It's pretty significant to God. It, and this is the, the Hebrew word here, some translations have observe. The Hebrew word here is, is the basic verb for to do. It's fundamental. Do it. It's a fundamental thing in Hebrew to do this Passover. Um, and they did it. And again, we see in verse 5, this theme of obedience. These are the good cycles here in Numbers. It goes very bad in about the middle of chapter 10, and we'll see that when we get there. But right now, it's the good times. They're obeying. God is giving them instruction. They're obeying the instruction. But they got a problem. Look at verse 6. And there were certain men who were unclean, through the touching of a dead body, so that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron on that day. And those men said to him, We are unclean through the touching of a dead body. Why are we kept from bringing the Lord's offering at its appointed time among the people of Israel? And Moses said to them, Wait, that I might hear what the Lord will command concerning you. So what's the issue? To dead body and they can't participate in the keeping of Passover. Okay, that's functionally that's it. What's the result of not keeping the Passover? They're unclean. They're separated. They're unclean and they're what? Separated. They're separated. What does that mean? They can't be a part of the body of God. Okay, so he actually says cut them off from the people, right? In Exodus twelve, that's that is the command. If you don't celebrate Passover, you're cut off from the people of Israel. Now some argue that that's a stoning, it's a death penalty. I, I don't think that's the case. I think it's an excommunication thing. You're not part of the covenant community. Um, what that looks like, I'm not sure. But, but, uh, so it matters that they don't, that they're unable to celebrate the Passover at the appointed time. That's a big deal. According to uh, Leviticus 11, 24 through 25, if a person comes into contact with a dead animal, they're unclean. They've got to go through ceremonial ritual about a week that they're outside the camp. And the same is true if someone touches a dead person. According to, to Leviticus 21, uh, a priest who touches the dead cannot have any involvement with any of the feasts of Israel. <clears throat> but that's just a priest. At this point, there's no statute relating to a layperson who's ceremonial uh, unclean at the Passover. It becomes an issue. And so we see here a principle. God laid out the general principle in Exodus 12. And Leviticus, we see him add some stuff to it. Here we have an, an incident of what's called case law. You know the, the point of case law? You have a statute. You apply it to the facts, right? And that's what's going on here. God looks at it. He, he's, Moses looks at it and says, I don't know what to do. There's no statute on this. So he goes to the, to the Supreme Court of God at the tabernacle, and he says, what am I going to do with this? I got nothing. And, he, and God says, 
uh, he gives a response, all right? But here we have lay people who through some circumstances come into contact with it. We, we don't know what happened here. We don't know if they ran across a dead animal and what's that? Oh no, I touched it. I don't know how they, or uh, maybe a family member died suddenly and it's in the tent and you got this stuff. But they're concerned that they're restrained from participating. That language of being restrained from participating means they've already been set outside the camp according to the law. They've come in contact with a dead body. They're outside the camp. They're being ritually restored um, to cleanliness. And yet, it falls within the time that they're commanded to keep the Passover. They were being kept from keeping the, the Passover here. The law is keeping them from keeping the law, right? So there's a problem. Um, all right. Moses goes to God with the issue. Look at verse 9. The Lord spoke to Moses. Okay, what's the big deal about that introductory clause? The Lord spoke to Moses. What do we know about that? When Yahweh speaks, you listen. people listen. That's right. So you have a divine decree. This is God revealing how to comply with the statute that's already been revealed. He's giving them wisdom, additional revelation to Moses on how to apply this stuff. And so what he says is, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If any one of you or of your descendants is unclean through the touching of a dead body, or is on a long journey, he shall still keep the Passover to the Lord. He shall, yeah, he shall still keep the Passover to the Lord. In the second month, on the fourteenth day, at twilight, they shall keep it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until the morning, nor break any of its bones. According to the statute for the Passover, they shall keep it. But if anyone who is clean and is not on a journey fails to keep the Passover, that person shall be cut off from his people because he did not bring the Lord's offering at its appointed time. That man shall bear his sin. I will stop there. What's the response? Valentine's Day. Okay. What's the response? God gives provision to keep uh, the people that had some kind of stipulation that would have excluded them. Uh -huh. A month later, they can do the same thing. He makes he he grants mercy in the yes. situation. What's the underlying thing here? Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say. Sorry about. That. That's all right. You know, I, sometimes I can come off a little harsh. You're good next year. Um, you know, it's a party. Come on anyway. You don't have to bring, you know, a housewarming gift to the party. It's okay. Just come on. Does he say that? He doesn't bend on the law, does he? He doesn't say, forget what I said in Exodus about the appointed time. You can't celebrate it at the appointed time. However, I'll make a way for you to celebrate the remembrance of redemption in the second month when you're clean. They've got to wait a whole month. And they have a second Passover, basically for the people that find themselves unclean during the time. And that's mercy. What's the, the alternative is they're cut off. They're trying to follow the law. They're trying to be clean. They're trying to ritually purify themselves. It's just they, the clock runs out. And so he shows mercy in that situation. Here's the second month. We'll do this. Kind of the, kind of the whole. So they now have two months of Passover. <laughs> Let's really celebrate. Yeah. But they're still unclean from during that, that period. 
They're still set outside the camp. They're still excluded. During the, during the first month. Yes. Yeah. They're still bearing the consequences of being unclean. Yes. And they're still going through the ritual. During the time of the appointed feast, they're outside. But a smaller provision is made for those who, who are clean in the second month. Um, a person who finds himself unclean at the time appointed for Passover is barred at the appointed time, but must celebrate Passover a full month after the appointed date. He's still got to fulfill all of those rituals that are originally given. He's still got to kill the lamb at twilight. He's still got to eat everything. He's still got to clean out his house of all the leaven. He's got to do all that stuff and eat unleavened bread. They got to do all that stuff, but it's in the second month. And this is a new statute that God gives in response to the circumstance that that is brought up by their by living. How do you work it out? He's still got to fulfill all of that stuff. What else has God addressed? He, he doesn't just address these unclean guys. He goes a little further and gets a little bit more information, doesn't he? What else does he address? Foreigners. Somebody's on a journey. What kind of journey? From, you know... What? Separate ways. You got to stop it. This can't, we can't do this. No, no, not that journey. No. Wheels in the sky keep on turning. All right, so what, what kind of journey? A long journey. A long journey. So this would be, indicate that it's not like from one city to the next in Israel, right? This is, this is contemplating something along the lines of you're traveling in a foreign country. And again, he's looking ahead to whenever they're settled in their land. When you're traveling in a foreign country, and the thing there is, and you're, if you're in Gentile country, and we talked about this when we went through Acts, if you're in Gentile country, you're around all kinds of uncleanness. I mean, go to D.C. If you're in Gentile country, you're around all kinds of uncleanness. They bury their dead next to their houses, near their houses. You know, so you're near dead bodies and all this kind of stuff. And you get, so that there, was a, there was actually a practice in Israel around the first century, we see this, um, where if they're coming in from a Gentile land, they cross the border of Israel, they wipe their feet. They, dust, they, they kick the dust off their feet to say, I'm leaving the uncleanness of, of, of Gentile country behind me. I'm now in the Holy Land of Israel. I mean, that was the, the imagery that they had of this. And so God says, if you're in a long journey, during the appointed time, business, whatever, and you're out of state, then you know, you're not in Texas. You have an ability to do this Passover in I mean, Holy Land. I'm talking Holy Land. You, you're, you have an ability to do a Passover in a second month, right? You, you give provision for that. Um, all right. What else? What else? What if a guy just has no excuse? What is he doing with that one? I'm clean. I'm not on a long journey. I just don't like lamb. The law's maintained, isn't it? And he's, what is he getting at here? He's getting to the heart of the thing, right? What is the heart? I don't want to celebrate God's deliverance. I don't care that he brought us out of Egypt. I don't want anything to do with the Passover lamb. You're not part of the covenant people, even though you're born of Abraham. Because it's a hard thing, right? Um, again, it probably means excommunication rather than being stoned to death. 
But the person's not going to be considered part of the covenant community and receive the blessings of, um, of, of, of that community under God. So this second month provision was kind of a key thing later on in Israel's history. King Hezekiah, you remember King Hezekiah? I'm sure you do. Second Chronicles. He, you know, long line of wicked kings. They just abandon all um, reason and accountability. And he comes to power and he wants to reinstitute the covenant of God and call Israel back to repentance and living under God. And so he, the, the, the temple is restored. And so he calls for um, a fast. He calls, for, well, he calls for a celebration of the Passover. It hadn't been celebrated in, in um, decades. He calls not only to Judah, but remember Israel separated. There were separate kingdoms at this time. He, he sends emissaries to Israel, throughout Israel. Every tribal origin, come to Jerusalem, celebrate the Passover with us. Um, there was a problem, though. At the appointed time, there's distance. We can't get to Jerusalem at the appointed time. We're unclean at the appointed time. And so they go to the second month, and they're still running into problems of people being abroad and not being able to make it back. It's still, they didn't have enough priests who were holy, who were ceremonially clean, to deal with those that they had to make ceremonial clean in time for the second month of the Passover. So they had all these issues and all this stuff. And finally, Hezekiah just prays to the Lord that he would be merciful to those who eat the Passover in a state of impurity. That's completely against statute. It's completely, you're trying to have a covenant meal that's part of what God has called you to do, and yet everybody's impure. I mean, it just shows the rampant lack of respect for the covenant at that time in Israel. He says, look, can, can you just show us mercy here? This is where we are. This is where we're starting. Can you just show us mercy? And the text says, the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. He talked about it as a healing. And these were ceremonial rituals of cleanliness. But what's the picture there? What's the real healing? I'm not holy before God. I'm not pure. And God shows mercy to the people of Israel under Hezekiah. He healed them. Does that sound familiar? By his stripes, we are healed. And the name ain't climate people will say, you know, grow your leg out a little longer. Watch this little chiropractic trip. When God talks about healing, he does talk about physical healing. But when he talks about healing, he talks about healing the soul. The relationship between God and man. That's the healing that's in, in view here. He heals them from their uncleanness. Uh, let's look at number, uh, uh, Numbers 9.14, that last verse there. And if a stranger sojourns among you and would keep the Passover to the Lord according to the statute of the Passover and according to its rule, so shall he do. You shall have... Now this is instructive to us. You shall have one statute both for the sojourner and for the native. Public policy of immigration aside, what is he saying here? Why is this an issue so early in Israel's history? They're all Jews here. I mean, they're all Israelites here, right? Not Jews, yes. But they're all Israelites here, right? 
Why is this an issue early in Israel's history? Who came out with them from Egypt? Some, some Egyptians. Some Egyptians did. There were Egyptians that said, forget Pharaoh, this God is kicking him. Let's get out of here. Let's follow this one. Let's be with these people. So you have Egyptians and probably some other nationalities that were slaves or whatever in, in Egypt also leave. So you have all of these resident aliens. They're not the people just passing through the camp. These are people who are living with them as Israelites, but they're not full-blood Israelites. They've taken on the mantle of, of Israel's God. So they're also in view here. And what does God tell them to do in relationship to the celebration of redemption of His people? So they're in the same way. They're also redeemed. They're also to celebrate. They're also to rejoice in the God of their deliverance. And they're to follow the same statutes and how to do it. It's one statute. You don't put more burdens on them. You don't put less burdens, fewer, fewer burdens on them. I've got to get those right. They still had to be circumcised. That's the covenant mark at this time. And God reiterates what he said in Exodus 12. There's one statute that applies to both the native and to the sojourner or to the stranger. Notice that the Passover is not primarily about the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. The point is the glory of God. How does he describe it? The Lord's offering. The Lord's Passover. It's ascribed to Him. It's not Israel's Passover. It's the Lord's Passover. And it's been a full year since God miraculously brought them out of the land of Egypt. Imagine, put, walk a minute in their sandals. Think about this. A year away from the most amazing thing happening in your nation's history. For 400 years, where's the hope of deliverance? 400 years under the thumb of an oppressive king. This is just who we are. This is just our life. This is just the way we're supposed to be, following the course of the culture. Without hope in the world. But God, being rich in mercy delivered them out of Egypt, right? And brings them away from the oppressive king into a place, there's wilderness, and he's in their presence. And I'll be their God and they will be my people. And he's right there in the tabernacle. And they're, and they're around him and everything's focused in on who he is and what he's doing. And in the midst of a wilderness where there's not a whole lot of provision, not a whole lot of crops growing in the desert, He's providing for them, right? He, in His great mercy and in His covenant love for His people, is raining down on them food, provision. They plunder the Egyptians. I mean, where do they get all these materials for the tabernacle? But from all these, their neighbors that they plundered as they're leaving Egypt. A huge provision by the God of mercy to them. And it's, it's the year away from their deliverance. Here they are in the wilderness. Now it's time to celebrate, and some scholars refer to this as Israel's unmerited deliverance. It's, it's also time to celebrate the fact that He dwells among them. He guides them. He's doing it here. He's guiding them and leading them to the promised land. He doesn't leave them guessing on how to please Him. Oh God, I know or do not know, you know, <laughs> forgive my sin. 
remember that prayer we, we read a long time ago on from this time frame, 700 BC, probably after this time frame, uh, 700 BC of, of the, the, the Sumerian prayer to a God I know or do not know, the goddess I know or do There's no guessing with God. He tells them, this is how you worship me. This is the right way to do it. He doesn't leave them guessing, but gives instruction and wisdom on how to obey his laws. And so in our text today, Israel kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai. <coughs> and looking at this, and just for grins, Peter, realizing that there really is no connection between the Old and New Testament, says... In his letter, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, throughout the time of your wilderness wandering, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So unrelated. Old Testament, just kind of an add-on. The deep well of the imagery and what actually happened in the history of Israel is drawn from to reveal, to show what Christ has done. He's the Passover lamb. And they're not shy about this. John 1.29, John the Baptist, the first Baptist, says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why would he call him the Lamb of God? What context does that have in any other setting? He's the Passover Lamb. And just in case the imagery is a little obscure... Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians, 5, uh, 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. He's talking again, that imagery of cleaning out the house and during the Passover rituals. As you really are unleavened, you're called to be pure. You're called to be without sin. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, it's just real obscure, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Why do we clean our house? Because we rest in the finished work of our Passover lamb. Why do we clean out the unleavened bread? Why do we clean out the yeast of sin that grows and festers? And Why do we clean that out? Because we rest in the finished work of the Passover lamb. John says in Revelation... It's just one revelation, by the way. <laughs> and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. What context does that have? Why would he say lamb except to refer to, to draw from the Passover imagery? However, we're not to come to the Lord's offering on our own terms, but on His, right? Isn't that what this shows? Eh, it's okay, come, whatever. He didn't do that. We can't be clean enough. 
You can't sit outside the camp enough to be clean, to, the Lord, to come to the Lord's Passover. We have to receive His mercy in Christ by faith. Not only does He provide the offering, He provides the way to get to the offering. Romans 1.17, this is such a big deal at the Reformation. For in it, the, right, the gospel, it is the gospel. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith, not by our cleaning our house, although we're required to do that based on the finished work of Christ. But that's not how we get before God. We don't stop receiving His offering. The appointed time is today, right? And the appointed time is tomorrow morning when you wake up going, nuts, what did I do yesterday? I'm unclean. And the appointed time is Tuesday morning when you say, nuts, what did I do Monday? What did I do before I had my third cup of coffee? I'm unclean. By faith, I partake of the Passover lamb. I put no trust in me, there's no good thing, Paul says, in my flesh. But in Christ, there is no condemnation. And so we trust his finished work day after day after day while we are in our exile, in our wilderness. But here's the other thing. We celebrate the Lord's offering not only for the past work of Christ and not only for what he's currently doing among us, but we celebrate his Passover because of his offering in the hope of his promise. Listen to this, 1 Peter 1, 3-5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. I'm very perishable, I'm very defiled, and I'm, I'm, I'm fading. <laughs> year by year. But his inheritance that he's provided for us in Christ is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded. It's a priestly duty, isn't it? Guard and keep. Guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We're saved through his work on the cross and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But an even greater salvation is coming. What He has declared of us in Christ, you are clean, will be realized when we are made to be like Him, reflecting Him perfectly, for we will see Him as He is, John says. And that's something to celebrate. So it is almost 10, and I know the powers that be be all about 10 o'clock. So let me pray and we'll, and we'll move on. God, we do thank you. We can't thank you enough. I don't know how to, I don't know the words to express the gratitude I should feel for the great gift of your mercy in Christ. God, would you warm our hearts and teach us to eat all of him, to partake all of him, not just the parts that we like. We love the grace and mercy, but would you also help us to embrace and um, make a part of us his kingship, His lordship over our lives. We are not our own. We're bought with a price. And so because of His finished work, we are to battle the sin in our own lives. So we pray that you give us the courage and the boldness and the willingness 
to strive toward holiness, to pursue holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. And so we thank you for the gift that we have of holiness in Christ and the call that we have to be holy as you are holy. So as those things work in tandem, as the foundation of Christ's sacrifice um, covers us, we pray that our hearts are made willing in the day of your power to look more and more like Jesus every day, realizing that we'll never succeed perfectly until he returns and we see him as he is. So we long for that day when we long to be made right image bearers before you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for being here.